The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown to zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown podcast and radio show. Today, we're speaking with Martin Stefan, the deputy CEO of Carbios. So welcome to the show, Martin. Thank you. Now, I want to learn all about you and your company and the amazing things that you are doing to help our big problem with plastic around the world. So can you tell us what exactly does Carbios do? Yeah, sure. So we are developing uh, technologies to find solutions for the end of life of plastics. Uh, we are the first and only company to develop an enzymatic technology to either make plastics compostable or to recycle infinitely PET. And that's really a breakthrough innovation. And that's amazing. So is that a fermentation process with the enzymes? Like the enzymes are eating plastic or they're creating plastic or both? Uh, an enzyme is not a living organism. So an enzyme is not eating plastic, but an enzyme is triggering a decomposition reaction of the plastics. So it's, it's called a catalyst. It's a biological catalyst. An enzyme is produced by a microorganism, but is not a microorganism itself. Again, it's, it's just a, it's a catalyst. So it triggers this depolymerization reaction, we call it. It's a, it's a reaction by which you decompose the plastics into its basic material, which are called monomers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which are the, the building blocks, right, of plastic monomers. Correct. And, Correct. Yeah, so that's very cool. So could you walk us through the enzymatic bio-recycling process? Yes, well, it's, the process itself is relatively simple. Huh? Uh, you put in a big vessel uh, plastic particles, water, enzyme. You heat up at 70 degrees C. You stir a little bit and you decompose your plastics like that. What is highly sophisticated is the enzyme itself. It took us years and millions to select and optimize this enzyme so that the decomposition process becomes an industrial reality or will become an industrial reality because we have optimized the activity of the enzyme, we have optimized the heat resistance of the enzyme, and we have even optimized the shape of the enzyme to fit perfectly to the PET molecule. Wow, that's very cool. So can you also tell us about the uh, the self-biodegration bags? I've seen this on your website. So it looks to me like you are putting some enzymes in the plastic bags so that eventually it will break down itself. Is that how it works? Yes, you're right. It's the other technology we have developed. And uh, this technology is uh, being brought by the JV to the market. It's a technology by which we include another enzyme into a polymer, which is called a PLA, polylactic acid, to make it compostable in any conditions, meaning uh, at uh, normal conditions. Uh, you don't need an industrial composter to see this material uh, decomposing or uh, 
degrading. So you, you can decompose and degrade also in a in a composter at home, in a home compost. Wow. So this is a really big thing because we know on the show, we've talked about it before, that bioplastic is actually very stable in the oceans. So it has trouble breaking down just like plastic. And then we also know that a lot of the bioplastic drink cups and stuff like that can't go in the home compost. It has to go to a special compost facility. So are these uh, are these bags that you've made, are they already made or is this something that you're working on? We are working on, we will not make bags. We will uh, manufacture and sell an additive to make the bags and oh, to make cool. also rigid packaging. Okay, so you... In the future, and we will be commercial next year. So with you're... the first product launch. That's very exciting. So you're more mm-hmm. of the technology company that's that's selling these things to manufacturers. Yes, we will sell uh, what is called a master batch. A master batch? Yep. Very cool. And so I don't know if how much you know about this, but probably a lot. How can plastic be infinitely recycled with you guys? So you're you're saying that you're making these enzymes that are sort of attached to the PET plastic. Um, and then that way we don't have to have degraded plastic. So we have a problem right now where plastic is recycled and then it's downgraded and it's not very efficient and eventually that plastic will end up in the landfill. So how can how are you working on plastic to be infinitely recycled? Well, that's exactly what you described. Huh? We will, because of the selectivity and the efficiency of our process, we will bring we will bring value to waste which today have low or no value, like PET trays, for example, food trays, yeah. or colored bottles, opaque bottles. They are neglected in the waste streams because they are not uh, recyclable. Mm-hmm. Uh, with our process, all this material will be recyclable, will be a valuable raw material. So we will contribute to turning the tap off, uh, the tap of, uh, you know, the flow of plastic pollution to the ocean, because instead of ending up, ending up in the environment, the plastics will end up in a bin because the people will know that it, it, it is a, raw, a valuable raw material for process uh, like carbios. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's so important to make sure that it gets into a recycling and we're having such a problem with getting people to put things in the recycling, but there's also no value in a lot of ways. So this is really and, great to hear. Yeah, and, and moreover, you know, demand is so strong right now for additional uh, recycled material, additional recycled plastics. Now, all the big brands, they have made pledges to use more and more recycled material in their packaging. Yeah? Uh, Very Nestle, cool. And, you know, the guys working with us, L'Oreal, PepsiCo, Centauri, but all the others as well, yeah? And with the current technology, the mechanical technologies, it, just, it is impossible to reach those goals. Huh? It's impossible. You, you, it's, there is not enough plastic recycled material with those technologies. So you need new technologies like ours because we bring additional quantities and we bring additional quality, better quality, but, and, but also, as I said, uh, higher, higher quantity because we are able to recycle any kind of PT waste into any kind of PT product. Mm-hmm. We can use a, a, a colored bottle to make a transparent bottle and we can use a, a transparent bottle to make a black t-shirt. It doesn't, we don't, we don't really care huh, with our technology. We are very tolerant in terms of uh, feedstock. 
Very, very good. And you mentioned a couple companies in there. And are is Nestle interested in your company as well? Are, you, are they working with you? Yes, we have created a consortium of brand owners with L'Oréal, PepsiCo, Nestle Waters, and Suntory to accelerate the time to market of the technology and to help us to scale up. Very they cool. are very interested because they realize that uh, they will not be able to reach their sustainability goals by the, with the existing technologies. So they need new technologies like ours. Mm-hmm. So I, I talked to Nestle before and they said that they were making bottles with, you know, post-consumer recycled plastic. And that was one of their main goals. So that, that's that's good to see. And I'm glad that they're working with you because these big, big companies can make such a big difference. So it's yeah. very nice to hear this. So mm-hmm. how will how will this new type of plastic how do we know it's going to get to the facility to recycle? Like, is there are the brands working with a way to get the bottles back after consumers use them? Or is that still on the municipalities? Well, we'll have to influence uh, the uh, the stakeholders of the value chain, of the waste value chain to change what exists today. Because if you look at uh, the supply chain of plastics waste today, first, it differs by country. It's different in France and in Germany and in Italy and in the US. It's very, it's very diverse. Mm-hmm. And, and second, it's totally adapted to the existing technology, uh, meaning the mechanical technology. So everybody's looking for transparent bottle to make transparent bottle. All the rest is neglected. Eh? If you take the example of um, the food trays, for example, and so most of them are made in PT. Mm-hmm. In Europe, only it's one million tons of food trays put on the market every year. This collection rate close to zero, recycling rate close to zero because there is no technology. We need to change that. And because demand is there and has been uh, crystallized by our partners, but by others, I'm convinced that supply will be put in place. Uh, but uh, there's still a lot of work to be done uh, to adapt and adjust a new supply chain of plastic waste to really feed the plants like ours. Mm-hmm. So there's more incentive for collection companies, I guess, to take back these bottles from homes and companies because there will be more value in that product because it's easier to turn into something new and a better quality of plastic, basically. Yeah, yeah. but we need to collect more. More Mm -hmm. collection is needed. It's key. Mm -hmm. And it's not only us and it's not only the brand owners. So it's really a shared responsibility. So everybody needs to, to make the proper actions to increase the collection rate. Yeah. Do you have any ideas on how to increase the collection rate in Ontario here in Canada? We have we have a big struggle. Actually, I think all around the world has a very, very big struggle. But I suppose your idea would be that your company is doing something very great, right, to to address this. Well, we give ideas, but, you know, we are we don't have really an opinion on how to increase the collection rate. And there is a debate right now in France on the deposit scheme. Is it good? Is it not good? We don't really know. Uh, what we know is that we need more collection. So it, mm-hmm. is, it can be done with um, deposit schemes. It can be done with uh, extended producer responsibilities, uh, with additional taxes. With, I don't really know, but uh, for sure, uh, collection rates need to be uh, to be increased. Yeah. And France, I think, is ahead of the rest of the world because I believe, did the whole country ban single-use plastics or was it just Paris? I think it was the whole country, right? It's the whole country has banned some plastics, yes, single-use mm-hmm. plastics, some single-use plastics. Yeah, yeah, that's a good start. And then also there's the, the French energy transition law 
that I see on your that's, website. That's, that's the one, yes. Yeah. Okay. So under that is the the ban on some of the plastics. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's gradual and it's it's coming into force uh, gradually uh, year after year. And how does how does your company fit in with the French energy transition law? But typically, the technology we have developed to make a PLA compostable in any condition fits very well with this uh, transition energy law, mm-hmm. and because the 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 content of bioplastics which are biodegradable in some plastic bags has has increased and the only way to make uh, those plastic bags uh, biodegradable is to add enzymes into them mm-hmm. because otherwise they're they're going to just stay in the environment right yeah. If they don't have that enzyme, yeah, which is very good to see because uh, I, I worry about that. And, and we did mm. talk about that on the show where, yeah, those plastic bags aren't going to break down in the soil that uh, that are made from like a corn or sugar or something. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So And then you also mentioned uh, polylactic acid. Um, what even is that? <laughs> what do we do with that? Yeah, yeah, because it seems like a big part of the process. Is that right? Well, well, that's the third technology we have is the bioproduction of, of PLA, polylactic acid, but it's, uh, mm. it's a bit aside for the moment. We don't, we don't really put a lot of efforts on that, on, on growing this technology. So we are really focusing on biodegradation of PLA and biorecycling of PET right now. The bioproduction of PLA, uh, we, let's say we are not scaling this technology up for the moment. Okay, yeah, it seemed uh, it seems complicated when I was trying to read read through it. Um, very cool. So, so can I ask you a few questions about your background? Because I'm always so interested in people who are doing wonderful things for the world and sort of how you got into it. Sure, sure. So, I see that your background is in finance. Is that right? Why well, finance and economy? Yes. Yeah. So, how how did you get interested in sustainability? Well, I spent uh, 30 years in the chemical industry uh, in, uh, with big multinationals like uh, the chemical branch of the Total Group and uh, the DuPont, uh, the U.S. Uh, firm DuPont. Mm-hmm. And then I've been contacted by Carbios uh, to work on the project. And, uh, you know, since I was confronted uh, a lot of times with the sustainability issues in my career, I say, wait, perhaps it's the, really the time to to, to act and to, uh, to be active on that. So the project is, is wonderful. Um, and they needed somebody like me. So I said, yeah, okay, why not? Uh, let's, let's give up the big multinationals and move to a startup. Mm-hmm. And I, I hear a lot of people in the environmental community calling for systematic change. And personally, I think that we can make these really, really good changes under our current capitalist system. And I talk to a lot of companies and businesses who just like yourself who are doing amazing things. And I'm wondering, do you think that we are kind of in the best system to move forward to a cleaner, healthier environment? I'm often very optimistic, honestly. So yeah, I think we will really solve the problems with, uh, with technology. And yeah. so, so far, the capitalism system has been the best to provide resources to develop new technologies. So I'm pretty confident. And when I see, when I have discussions with potential investors, especially here in the U.S., I realize that a lot of money is being mobilized to finance the development of new technologies. And that's how we will solve the problem, I'm sure. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. So that's really good, really good to hear from you. So, um, well, this is just great. So it was really nice to speak with you about this. I'm just wondering if there's anything that you'd like to add about Carbios that we kind of missed. Well, uh, about Carbios, uh, not really. But you know, the technology. I think what is important to understand is that um, I'm convinced that plastics is not a problem. Plastic waste is a problem. But we should really think before banning plastics because plastics bring a lot of uh, value to the society. It's just that the end of life of plastics has not been thought enough. So mm-hmm. we really need, and it's a shared responsibility. It's technology providers like us, it's brand owners like our partners. It's also PET producers, governments, regulators. Everybody needs to do its part to really bring new solutions to uh, yeah, to find solutions for the plastic pollution issue, which is not acceptable. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine a world without plastic? It would be very difficult. And it's part of feeding, you know, billions and billions of people. And it's also part of housing us. So a lot of us have, you know, vinyl in our houses or on the outside of our houses. And it is something that's very valuable and important to our survival, basically. And we have this issue in in Canada because we are so cold all the time. So we need things, you know, to heat our homes and and get to work and stuff. So we're having a really hard time, I think, here trying to make these transitions. Mm. And a lot of our cities are wondering and asking if they should be banning plastics. And I think maybe something like straws could maybe work. But I also think that it would be better if people would just stop using them on their own. But then it's difficult to to communicate, you know, the reasons why we shouldn't be using, you know, millions of straws every day and stuff like that. So, yeah, we have a big challenge set out for us, I think. But I think you're totally right. Exactly. With we've got a okay system and we can use plastic, but we have to take care of those last steps. So you've got the production, you've got the usage. But then when we throw it out, that's the problem. And exactly. it seems like you're working uh, working on those solutions. So that's really great. Uh, we, do our, we do our part, let's say, but we are not the only one, as I said. Yeah, yeah. We've had Gina Matica on the show, too. They're doing yeah. some really cool things. And and it's it's nice to hear hear all about this. So, okay, well, this has been wonderful, Martin. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks. Okay, you have a wonderful day. That was Martin Stefan, the deputy CEO of Carbios. The city has a goal of being zero waste by 2030. What you do uh, here at home or wherever you are in the world can really have an impact on a global scale. You know, we live in a global world. What is this compulsion we have to consume? And, and can we break it and not live any worse off at all? The main source of BPA is, is foodborne. You know, you can still be a capitalist and do the right thing. Bioplastics don't degrade in the ocean environment. It's hard to believe, but the Zero Waste Countdown podcast and radio show has been running now for two years. This is the second anniversary episode. I started the show two years ago and I gave myself a year actually to see how close I could get to zero waste. 
So every episode I would talk about things that I did to reduce my trash output and eventually I stopped doing that segment of the show because I wasn't really changing anything or adding anything to my life because I was so close to zero waste. There are still things that come into my life and go out of my life via the trash, which is unfortunate, but it's really not very much and I've figured out how to live really, really close to zero waste. I think the key is to really use your local resources and find out what grows locally around you, what stores offer food and items in bulk, and then of course your output. So composting has been one of the most important parts of my zero waste countdown. So all of my food scraps go in a compost and we just actually put them on our garden. So they've been sitting in a barrel and I mix them in and put some leaves in there and it's created, it looks like a gross muck. And that's because our summers get so hot here in Canada. So all summer that's been composting itself and then I took it down and put it on our garden. So my barrel is empty again. So I can fill it up through the winter where it won't really be composting in the cold. But next summer, it'll compost down. And then again, in the fall, I can put it on my garden again. This is very helpful, too, because I don't need bag liners. So I never would put a plastic bag in a garbage can or my compost bin or recycling bin or anything like that, because nothing gross is going into any garbages. And this helps with smell too, so you can kind of just leave for a weekend and not have to worry about taking out the trash, although definitely would want to take out the compost. I recycle with Quinny Waste Solutions, so that's been very helpful too. They, I think, are the best recyclers in the country, but I haven't experienced all of the recycling municipalities in Canada, obviously, so I don't know if they're the best. I just think that they might be because they take things that a lot of other communities don't. So, for example, we can recycle styrofoam trays here. Not that I would ever buy anything that comes in a styrofoam tray. And they also recycle plastic bags, which is a big one. That's usually one that municipalities don't collect. So they're doing very good things. And of course, I try not to buy anything wrapped in trash, but things come into the house, unfortunately, sometimes. And if these are things like uh, rubber bands around broccoli or carrots that we have to buy in the wintertime because they're not growing fresh in our garden, then I will put them in the TerraCycle Zero Waste box. And we switched back to plastic toothbrushes, actually, because I had a wooden one mold. Actually, I've had a couple of them mold on the bottom, but one was in my travel case for a while and the whole thing got covered in mold. So I went back to plastic toothbrushes, but I make sure that they get sent into TerraCycle. We have a place called Bulk Barn here in Canada, and it's really great. They'll let us bring in our own containers and our own cloth bags, and we can fill all dried goods in there. So things like coffee, tea, spices, beans, flour, lentils, chickpeas. Uh, They even have like potato chips and chocolate and candy and uh, different kinds of seeds. So anything you want basically that you need to bake with, um, anything that's dry, you can get it at that store. And then I combine that with going to our local butcher and then also to our local farmer's markets. And of course, I have my own garden. So between all of these things, we definitely have access to fresh food and to zero waste dry goods. And this has allowed me to live a zero-waste lifestyle. There are a few things that I notice people ask about a lot or that they have trouble with. And I think the biggest thing for people when they're trying to reduce their trash and their plastic is that they can't remember to bring things. Now, I have mentioned before about the student union building that I... 
I couldn't remember to bring my coffee mug, but the student union building at the University of Victoria had a little coffee shop in it that offered dollar specialty coffees if we brought our own mug. And they were a, a lot more money than that if we uh, if we forgot our mugs. So that was very helpful in making me remember to bring my own mug because it was a very good incentive. So incentives work. Personally, I think it should be more than 10 cents, which is sometimes what we see at coffee shops, but incentives do work and cloth bags seem to be difficult for people to remember. So what I do is when I bring my groceries in, I'll put things away and then I'll take the cloth bags back and I'll either put them right in my vehicle or if I'm too lazy to go outside at the moment, I put them right in front of my front door so that I can't actually leave the house again without picking up those bags and putting them in my vehicle. So I store them in my vehicle. That's where the cloth bags belong. And I find that this really, really helps me keep them where they need to be so that they are always available whenever I'm out and about. And I guess this could work for your backpack too, or whatever you use when you leave the house if you don't have a vehicle. When I leave my home, I always bring a snack and a water bottle. And this has been huge because I'm a stress eater. So if I'm having a really bad day, I'm so tempted to stop and get some fries or grab a bag of chips or something, but I don't. And a big part of that is just having a healthy snack. So usually just an apple, maybe a banana, or maybe I'll cut up some carrots quick if I have time. Apples are kind of the best easy snacks that you can just grab and go. And then I'll just put the core in my my cup holder, which sounds gross, but it, it really isn't. It doesn't get very dirty. Uh, and then I, I bring it home and compost it because if I threw it out in a garbage can, then it's probably going to sit there for hundreds of years in a landfill and not be very good. So by having a water bottle and a snack, I never have to stop anywhere and get food that comes wrapped in trash. Sometimes if I go to a restaurant, I will always keep jars in my vehicle as well. So same with the cloth bags. Whenever I leave the house, I just have like a mental checklist kind of thing to make sure that I have everything. So I keep my cloth produce bags and my cloth grocery bags in my vehicle. And then I have a wine bag that has those separations inside for six bottles. And I tend to keep six jars in my my vehicle as well. And that way, if I'm at a restaurant and I can't finish my food, I can go out to the parking lot, grab my jar, fill that up with my leftovers. Or if I want something small from the bulk barn, then I can use those jars there as well. So now that I figured out how to live zero waste in my own home, I'm branching out and trying to figure out how we can do it on a bigger scale. So you may have noticed that we do bring a lot of companies on the show, and that is for good reason. I do believe that companies are producing a lot of trash, and of course, they're going to be the ones who can solve our issue. And I really like bringing entrepreneurs on the show who have found different ways of being sustainable. I think that's absolutely wonderful. So if you've been listening for the last few years, thank you so much. It's been absolutely wonderful to produce these episodes. I have more episodes coming in year three of the Zero Waste Countdown. And of course, if you have any questions or suggestions, you can feel free to email me. I might not be able to answer them all, but I do try to read them all. And if you are on your own countdown to zero waste, I applaud you for that. And sometimes it can be tricky and sometimes it can be rewarding and everything in between. So if you're on that countdown, I wish you the best of luck and know that you are making a huge, huge difference. You know, sometimes people say, oh, it doesn't matter and 
it's it's such a big issue and it's other countries fault and it's not ours and and that's all just negativity stuff don't listen to it what you're doing is very honorable and it's very ethical and reducing our trash and reducing our plastic consumption is really the way to go especially when we are so addicted as a community and a culture and a society to plastic single use plastic and oil and gas for a lot of us, we can't give up our vehicles to get to work and back. It's how we're surviving. And when you come from a cold country like Canada, well, we need oil and gas to heat our homes to survive, unfortunately, at this point. However, we don't need all the single-use plastic. And it's something that we can get rid of in our lives that does have a carbon footprint. Absolutely. It is a polluter and it kills animals and wildlife directly when it gets caught in the stomachs of whales or or stuck in a turtle. Um, it's It's actually really, really bad for wildlife and it's a direct cause of death for animals. So if we can get rid of the single-use plastic in our life that we don't need, it will make a difference. So remember that and keep up the good work and tune in for year three. We have lots more episodes coming up. Thank you. Did you know you can now find our episodes on YouTube? If you have a YouTube account, please like, subscribe, and comment on there. And if you haven't given us a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, please do so. It helps the algorithms push our show up in search results, which means more people will discover the show and more Zero Waste Solutions will be shared around the world from our amazing guests that we've had on the show. I'm a volunteer at my local college radio station, and I don't make very much money, so if you have a few bucks to spare each month, you can sign up and be a patron on Podbean. There's a little reward button you can click on there. I'm also on Patreon, but I want to keep all my content free for everyone instead of putting it behind a paywall, so... You also can donate directly on the show's website, zerowastecountdown.com. We are a registered nonprofit in Canada called the Zero Waste Countdown Initiative. Thanks for listening, everybody, and thanks to our listeners in America, Canada, Germany, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, Spain, and wherever else you're tuning in from. Together, we're going to change the world. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. (laughs) 